because if you don't know your history, you don't know your future. And your future has to be what happened the early days under Martin and Jimmy Murphy, without doubt. And, and, and tell them that what Jimmy did about planting seeds of the, the history. That is the most important thing you can do with young players coming to my United. Tell them what the, their expectation is. To realise the expectation, this is what for playing for my United is no point for Bolton Wonders or Burry or, or Rochdale, it's point for the biggest club in the world. So the early days of Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, or we should say Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, or we should even go further beyond that, Paddy, and mm. talk about Alex Ferguson, regular Alex Ferguson, before Manchester United, before Aberdeen. Let's yep. go all the way back to St Mirren. Um, yep. Let's let's disregard the um, world exactly. the world class striker um, that he thought he was as a player. <laughs> and um, the, yeah, the, he wasn't he wasn't bad. Let, let, let's be fair about this. His stats are very good. He was a goal scorer, a poacher, um, a fighter, uh, a, a, a teammate of of his, John Gregg, who, who played briefly with him at Rangers. Um, said he played against him as well. Uh, and he said, "When he, when you felt the force of Alex Ferguson's elbows, it was like being stabbed." <laughs> I think that conjures up uh, an image of uh, of of of, of an, a part of his game. But you're quite right to move on to his management career, um, which was it started but very briefly at East Stirlingshire, the yeah. tiny club in in the town of uh, Falkirk, obviously the second club in Falkirk. Um, and you know you really couldn't have had a more humble start, but he he was instantly successful in galvanising East Stirling, and it was very soon after that that St Mirren came calling for him, and uh, this was the first marriage made in heaven, really, um, because uh, you know it, it's it's fairly well known that that and we'll we'll talk about this that that Alex Ferguson and Manchester United were made for each other because Manchester United were based on the Matt Busby principles of build from within build your own players create a family of your of your own players and uh, it it was the same as at Mirren they'd already started a youth policy uh, when they uh, beckoned Alex Ferguson to make the short journey from uh, East Stirling uh, to Paisley Incredible when you look at the the numbers. Really, um, they won Scottish First Division, which was the, the Premier Division already existed in Scotland at that time. Um, but when you look at the numbers, Paddy, it was there for four years. They won the, the First Division in nineteen seventy seven. The average age of that team was nineteen. The captain Tony Fitzpatrick was twenty. They were renowned yeah. for playing exciting football. But we're talking about, I mean, people compare eras and that's something that we'll probably be doing as we Mm -hmm. go along this. But bringing in an average age team of sort of 19, 20 in this day and age, Mm -hmm. you could could conceive it. You could see that it could be the case. And even 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, you could say, oh, that's a bit young, but definitely with, with some experience around them. Yeah. The, The fledgling, the fledgling team, for example, is 23, 24. Mm. So to go back another 20 years before that, an average age of 19. Yeah. I mean, Tony Fitzpatrick, um, when they won that title, it was 20, I think you said. Yeah. He was actually a teenager when, when Ferguson made him made yeah. him uh, yeah. the, the captain. But it was a prolific youth policy. As I say, it was, it, it was obviously good um, before. 
um, because it had uh, produced um, not only Fitzpatrick, but uh, a centre-half called Bobby Reid, who, who, who actually, his career was ended by injury, but he, he could have been a considerable player, um, and, and one or two others. But Ferguson just ramped things up. And uh, in the end, I mean, all sorts of, of, of notables came out of the St. Mirren youth policy after, you know, while it was still producing, after Ferguson had left, Frank McAvenny, um, sorry, um, Frank McGarvey, yeah. uh, McAvenny later, actually, uh, Billy Stark, who, who Ferguson signed later for Aberdeen, you know, all really, really good players. I mean, Peter Weir, Mm. Who, who later joined Ferguson and took part in the uh, in the fantastic cup, European Cup Winners' Cup triumph of 1983. Um, when they beat Real Madrid, Weir was one of the stars of that team. So, I mean, you could go on and on and on about the players that this uh, youth policy uh, produced. It. Um, and, and, and it was, uh, yes, Ferguson inherited it, but he certainly nurtured it uh, yeah. in... In uh, in uh, conjunction with a uh, the scout that, that he got at the time, uh, a lad called Archibald, uh, oh, what was he called? But he was known as anyway. He was known uh, uh, whether it was his lack of hair or or a, a shortened form of Archibald. He was known as Baldy, <laughs> and uh, uh, Baldy and and Alex Ferguson had a. Uh, I suppose he was the Eric Harrison of the time, Baldy yeah. and. And they had quite a, a good relationship. And, and Ferguson actually mentioned him in one of his <coughs> autobiographies as, as one of probably the most remarkable of all the many scouts he'd used in his career. Yeah. Um, from St Mirren, he went to Aberdeen. There was some um, discrepancy whether whether or not he was actually dismissed or whether he'd been poached by Aberdeen. Oh, he'd been poached. <laughs> but, he, but he certainly ended up there. Um, he lost He lost the court case anyway. Um, <laughs> and no, no, he was definitely poached. I can tell you the, the story, uh, if you like. It, 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 Aberdeen, uh, he claimed that he'd been dismissed by St Mirren and, and sued them. Uh, but in actual fact, uh, St Mirren had been tipped off uh, the Aberdeen by uh, a journalist friend of Ferguson's who seems to have been playing off both sides, um, both Ferguson and St Mirren, um, uh, called Jim Roger. And the late Jim Roger was more than a journalist, a lot more. He, he, he would arrange transfers, uh, of, uh, changes of manager, and uh, uh, undoubtedly he was involved in, the, in Ferguson's move from St Mirren to Aberdeen. Um, and... Unfortunately for Ferguson, um, as I say, uh, he made sure that not just Ferguson but St Mirren were aware of it all the way through. So, um, yeah, he def definitely was poached. There's no question about that. What kind of impact did he have on, have on Aberdeen from the start? Well, Aberdeen, a little bit like uh, St Mirren, uh, were prepared for Ferguson. They had already instituted a, a, a youth policy. They had a young, a, a, some good young players in the team, Alex McLeish being a, 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 a very good example of that. And, um, uh, and, and, and a lot of it was, uh, you know, the youth policy was, was very good and it, it extended already into Glasgow, you know, Ferguson's um, native area. Um, but 
And also the, the idea that Aberdeen were a, a nothing club, you know, um, when Ferguson took them over is, is fanciful as well because they actually, in the season before uh, Ferguson joined, uh, after Billy McNeil had gone back to Celtic as manager, uh, Billy McNeil actually got them into second in the league. They, they pushed Rangers pretty hard mm. in both the league and the cup. Uh, so this was not, and, and their average crowd was something like uh, 18,000. So they, 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 this was not a, a nothing club when Ferguson arrived. But he, once again, as at St Mirren, he made the youth policy more aggressive and more wide-ranging. And he undoubtedly uh, galvanised the players. You know, he was an inspiration right from the start. I mean, in Scotland, it was it was common knowledge that this was one of well he wouldn't have got the Aberdeen job if he hadn't been top class potential yeah but it's like, like you said the the way that he started because of the expectation there Aberdeen finished fourth in in his first season in charge they got to the semi-finals of domestic cups and that was seen mm. as a, a little difficult start really but it was the second season where he really um kicked on yeah. and they got yeah. to the league cup final they, they lost that time but they won the league um and I think winning winning the league was the startling thing, and it was uh, because I mean I don't think a club other than Rangers or so, I mean Hearts had had a, a period Hearts and Hibs after the war, hmm. but um, gen- historically it was almost unheard of um, for for clubs from outside the old firm um, to do it, and and I don't think anyone has done it quite as sustained in the history of Scottish football has mounted quite as sustained a challenge, or indeed ascendancy over the old firm, as uh, Ferguson's Aberdeen did. Yeah, a few, a few weeks before they won the first title, they played against Hibs. Um, I mentioned this because they drew 1-1 in the game, and Willie Miller mm-hmm. for Aberdeen he was having an argument with Hibs winger George Best. And Miller was sledging George, telling him that he, telling him that he wasn't the player that he once was. Mm. And at the end of the game, Best throws a bob back at Miller, and he says, "Haha, you've lost. Uh, you've drawn the game. Mm. That's going to cost you the title." Best goes back to California, where he's yeah. living, playing for San Jose. A few weeks later, Aberdeen win their first title under Ferguson with a five-nil yeah. win at Easter Road. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, Best a little too far for the salt to be rubbed into the wound. But I think Miller made his point. <laughs> I think he had. It was a terrific, uh, terrific team that, I mean, based on the triangle <coughs> at the back of um, two centre-backs, um, McLeish, who we have just mentioned earlier, Willie Miller, and behind them, Jim Layton. So it was a terrific foundation, but of course there was quality uh, going forward as well. I've, I've already mentioned Peter Weir, the outside left, who he poached from his, well, poached is too strong, who he brought from his uh, previous clubs at Mirren. Uh, on the other flank, uh, the outstanding Gordon Strachan was Mark McGee at centre forward, uh, who Ferguson, you know, was a good player when, you know, when he arrived at Aberdeen, but Ferguson made him an outstanding player who terrorised uh, uh, famously terrorised Real Madrid in that in that European Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, there were there were good players all over the field. The right back Stuart Kennedy, not known in England, but uh, massively respected um, in Scotland as probably second only to Danny McGrain and or the third to only to Danny McGrain and Sandy Jardine, 
or, or, as, as, as fullbacks of that era, um, Scottish fullbacks of that era. Kennedy was an outstanding player. Um, the, the McMaster at left back, constructive left back who could hit our long passes that reminded you of Glenn Hoddle. I mean, he, he, he was an amazing long passer, McMaster. So they had, I've, lift, I've missed a few out, Eric Black, very, very intelligent centre forward, not particularly tall, but, but good in the air. Um, uh, and and on the ground scored also in the, against Real Madrid. So there was, and again I've probably missed some out, but there was, there was quality all the way through the side. But above all, especially after Ferguson, there was belief. Yeah, um, and as well, Paddy, the, the the thing to to mention about this is that it was an accomplished set of results and performances. This isn't, wasn't a flash in the pan. He was no. building something. When they beat Bayern Munich on the run to, to the final, when they beat Real Madrid in the final, you, you looked at Aberdeen like serious competitors. They weren't there to yes. make up the numbers. That's right. Yeah, I was at, I was at the Bayern Munich game in Petodre and uh, uh, it was a fantastic performance. One of the outstanding moments of course was the uh, again had the mark of Ferguson on it because it was a bit of kidology at a free kick I don't know if you remember where uh, one player Strachan was involved in this one player went to take it stopped pretended to have an argument with Strachan and Strachan was uh, gesticulating and then suddenly whipped in a perfect ball for Alec McLeish who knew exactly what was going to happen <laughs> and bang, a header was in the net, and 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 Bayern Munich were almost saying, "Well, that's a bit unsporting, you know." But <laughs> it was, you know, that was that kind of craftiness and and uh, street wisdom uh, that, that, that later came to Manchester United was was very much evidence in evident in that uh, Aberdeen team. But it was they were a band of warriors as well, uh, and that in a way very much comparable to the first great side. That Ferguson was to build it at um, at United with some really bristly characters. I remember, uh, and you mentioned the Bayern Munich match. Um, as the teams went out in uh, in Munich, uh, one of the Bayern Munich players later wrote a book in which he said, it, 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 "As soon as we saw this team, we were a little bit. We thought, what have we taken on? We looked across at the Aberdeen team, and none of them seemed to have any teeth." <laughs> <laughs> which is a great tribute to the Scottish dental uh, system, perhaps, <laughs> or, or, or maybe to do with the amount of sugary uh, deep-fried Mars bars they'd been eating. <laughs> but it was true. And McLeish told me that story. Uh, that, <laughs> and that they were, yeah, they were a band of, a band of uh, warriors, without any question. Uh, a year later, um, Aberdeen retained the Scottish Cup, a 1-0 win over Rangers. Uh, Ferguson yeah. afterwards, he was infamously seen on television, describing yeah. the performance as disgraceful. Yeah. Um, he later backtracked on it, but this was, this was an indication of the standards he was now holding. Mm. That's true. And what's more, uh, when I spoke to Martin Edwards about the recruitment of Alec Ferguson, he, he actually mentioned that, and I was surprised. He said... You know, he talked about, oh, yeah, we knew he was uh, a, a youth development man. But, you know, we knew he could build football teams. Um, but what one thing that stuck in my mind, said Martin, was, was that, that bollocking that he gave the players after they'd won the cup. <laughs> and he said, wow, 
you know, I thought, what standards this guy has. You know, you've not just got to win, but you've got to win well. And, and he said that was a factor in, in, in um, you know, along with Bobby Charlton's advocacy of Ferguson, in, in, in them deciding to make him on a, a short list of one. There was talk of Terry Venables, but he was really on a short list of one, uh, Ferguson. Yeah. When, when United came calling. But that's interesting. You know, he apologised for, for that uh, because the players were tired and, and they'd won the game. It's not as if they'd... And um, uh, he, he, he said... Uh, uh, there was another funny story about that. I can't remember who said it. But he, on the, uh, he was still seething on the bus going back to Aberdeen. And it was a long journey for these poor players who thought, well, what more can we do than win? And he said, um, he pointed at uh, McLeish and Miller. He said, you two were the only two that didn't let us down. The rest of you were a disgrace. <laughs> and there was just silence. And the, the bus finally uh, gets into uh, towards Aberdeen. And one of the players, it was probably Strachan, who said, we'll not be going on an open-top bus down Union Street, Aberdeen tomorrow. <laughs> it'll just be, it'll just be Miller and McLeish on a tandem. <laughs> <laughs> that was, um, yeah, that's Ferguson. I, I guess at that point, that's yeah. it, that's a sign of his ambition and sort yeah, of a, a, acknowledgement that you know he's. This Aberdeen side had done great, but there's a limit to how far they were going to go. And obviously, yes. he was courted by a number of English clubs. Um, yeah, and Wolves he, among them. Yeah, Arsenal, Spurs as well. Everyone Correct. sort of wanted um, wanted him to, to go down there because his, his star was shining so brightly. Um, and obviously, he was at the World Cup as well after what happened to Jock Steen. Jock. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, um, it was Manchester United where he was going. Before we get on to United, just one last thing. Um, just the yeah. theory of the best manager in the world versus the right man for the job and that, that um, conversation. Now, British football was much more initial about then and, and perhaps a good cause because all the European champions that were coming from England, you've got Aberdeen's success, obviously, in the European Cup Winners' Cup. And mm-hmm. there was a great track record of great Scottish managers as well, really in its yeah. heyday at this point. But um, I just want to put it to you about Alex Ferguson being the best manager in the world versus the right man for the job. Is it difficult to, like these days, you've got Pep Guardiola, you've got Zinedine Zidane, you've got Bielsa, you've got all these coaches around the world who we've seen go to different places, so you're able to make a, an easier assessment. Difficult to do in those days, but um, how would you rank um, Ferguson's promise at that time? Oh, yes, I think he was, uh, I think his, his reputation, the, the European Cup winners' cup win had cemented his reputation in Europe, much as the UEFA Cup uh, win of 19, uh, sorry, 2003 uh, established Jose Mourinho. Yeah. He, he didn't become famous in, throughout Britain until a year later after his uh, you know, victory at Old Trafford for, followed by Champions League victory for Porto. But uh, Ferguson's status was much as um, as Mourinho's was in 2003, when he'd won the uh, UEFA Cup, and now you look to see what he could do next. So, yeah, I think among the cognoscenti, he was uh, he was definitely known. And I, I mean, the the other thing was, of course, that Terry Venables. Uh, it was at a stage that the stock of the English coach was the thank you, pardon, the British coach was so high that uh, that Terry Venables got the Barcelona job and so on. 
And I mean, it was Terry Venables, and, and you know, Ferguson was sort of bracketed with Terry Venables um, as, you know, the kind of man who could, who could go, the speculation uh, concerned Venables as well as, as well as Ferguson, while Ron Atkinson was a, was, was a, was a sort of lame duck manager, um, you know, dependent on results day by day as, I mean, we are talking now in, uh, in, in November to 2020 and, and, and much as, as poor Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is now. So it's, um, it, it, his status was definitely high. It wasn't, I mean, managers weren't probably seen as gods um, in the same way as they are now. I mean, Guardiola, uh, Klopp, I mean, these, these men are, uh, you know, almost walk on water for the, uh, to, 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 to look at the, the, the publicity they get, and, and sometimes with good reason. But managers were uh, seen much more in proportion in those days, and, um, and, and, and that's how you should look at Ferguson. There weren't, there weren't crowds walking down, uh, you know, marching around Albert Square, Manchester, saying, we must have Ferguson now. No, but like you said, his his reputation was certainly oh, um, in high stock. You know, when you when you when you've overturned uh, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid in a European competition, uh, you're you're well known, you're well respected. Yeah. Um, November nineteen eighty six. Uh, you mentioned, and and it's quite right that there was only one man for the job, and it was. Alex Ferguson, Bobby mm. Charlton had already sounded him out and become friendly with him at the World Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beforehand, it had always been a debate at United. There'd always been many candidates, and many times they hadn't got the first choice. You know, they'd gone for Jockstein, they'd mm. gone for Laurie McMenemy, they'd gone for all these play uh, these coaches, and I think even Sexton turned them down before he went to them. So that there were all these different coaches who, who'd come who were second and third choice, mm-hmm. and and perhaps. Perhaps in a way, I don't know, Paddy, if you, if you agree with this, but perhaps in a way that had been a reason for why there was something so disjointed about United's identity. I know Doherty got there for a little while, but perhaps because United didn't know what they want, it was difficult to know. Well, the, the, you're absolutely right there, that it needed a special kind of person like Alex Ferguson to take that on. Bear in mind, you said Sexton turned United down once. Um uh, Steen obviously uh, didn't didn't go there for one reason or another. Um, Laurie McMenemy turned them down because he thought mm, this job's going to chew me up. And if you look at it, you're quite right; they didn't know what they wanted. In came uh, Franco Farrell, you know, who I suppose was a little bit like Ferguson. He'd done well at a slightly lower level, very well with Leicester. Uh, he was, a, a, you know, a, a, a man who could project the club in, in dignity and so on. And then they, uh, they, they, go, they go for Doherty, who is, yeah, a bit more rough-hewn, wisecracking, uh, but, you know, fantastic, you know, exciting football. Sorry, that was after Dave Sexton. Uh, Dave, Dave was, you know, Mr. Respectability. Uh, so they seem to be swaying from one character of manager to another. Um, and I suppose uh, they, Ron Atkinson, who, was, uh, who has many virtues as a manager, tremendous virtues as a manager, but youth development isn't one of them. Hmm. You definitely couldn't say 
that he's a, a holistic manager. You know, it was the first team. That was what mattered. And uh, to, to, to Ron and entertaining the punters. Now, Ferguson was very much the opposite. So they, they went for somebody else. But it was the best decision that they made to go back to find someone who was as close to Matt Busby as they could possibly get. Someone who would build the whole club. And in fact, that's what happened when Ferguson had his interview, such as it was, with, um, you know, Martin Edwards, Bobby Charlton, and uh, I think Mike Edelson um, also was there when they, they had an interview at a relative, of, a, a member of, the, of Ferguson's sort of uh, extended family. Um, uh, just south of Glasgow, and 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 they, it was just a meeting of minds. The United Party went up there with the intention of saying, "Listen, unless you want to reform our our club completely, this job may not be for you." And Ferguson went down with his script, which was, "I want to reform this club completely because if that's not what you want me to do, I'm not the man for you." And it was just. It was just a complete meeting of minds. And from then on, I mean, within five minutes of them sitting down together in, I think it was Martin Edwards's car, um, they, uh, the, there was no question of, uh, of, uh, of, it, of the deal, not the, the hands not being shaken and the, and the announcement not being made. Interesting. I, I completely agree. You know, we've talked about this before, the, the sort of cult of personality and for a while, you mentioned Docky and Sexton and, and their contrast. I think for a while the idea of personality became more more um, important than the substance of what they were trying to bring because the idea was that the substance was there when it wasn't and obviously the, the, the sort of transitional um, time had overtaken that as well. Um, but I am interested to know uh, every single manager came in obviously with this idea of a long-term goal because I don't think at Manchester United and other institutional football clubs like an Arsenal or, or Liverpool, you don't hire a manager to hire them for two seasons. Well, you didn't then. You hired them for, for a longer period of time. You looked at this sort of... And maybe that's true of every football club. Maybe I'm I'm not trying to be... Um, um, turn my nose up at anyone else, but certainly at the, the sort of the big clubs where you were... Well, Liverpool... You, you could you could bracket Liverpool with Manchester United yeah, in that yeah, sense. Absolutely. Uh, you know, let's the boot room. You know, yeah, exactly. And United, to, to their internal credit, were thinking long term when they appointed Alex Ferguson. I don't know if they ever. Certainly, neither of them ever visit envisaged twenty six years. But um, yeah, they they, they certainly uh, envisaged a decade. And what and what do you think when they were getting? Ferguson. I think that pretty much we can all ascertain from what happened with the Atkinson reign and why he was dismissed that mm. the, the goal within that 10 years was to win a league title. Mm. But what else do you think that they were hoping? I mean, I, I guess Edwards has looked at what he'd done at Aberdeen, he'd looked at what he'd done at St Mary and sort of said, OK, well, we can break the Liverpool stranglehold mm. and maybe establish a team that can not only win one title, maybe two. And then, obviously, we talked about the younger players as well. So these were all the kind of things that, like you said, it was a perfect meeting of the minds, this yes. meeting of ideals. Yes. But uh, United, I think, were hoping for uh, a little uh, bit more than that. They were hoping for discipline because the discipline within the club, within most clubs, wasn't 
what it is today. I mean, I'm talking about drink, basically. Yeah. Uh, and allied things, obviously. Um, uh, you know, if you're if you're on your third pint, you don't think I'm not going to spend the whole day in the pub. Um, you, you know, you you yeah. drink leads to other things, um, and. I mean, it, it, the whole the whole discipline at the club was not good. It wasn't great in football, <clears throat> but Manchester United were conscious that it needed to be done. And Ferguson was aware of it because, of course, through his enduring friendship at that time with Gordon Strachan, they would talk while Ferguson was still at Aberdeen. They would talk and Strachan, not knowing that he was snitching, because uh, yeah. not knowing that Ferguson was going to be the manager, said, oh, there's a few drinkers down here, boss. Oh, my God. And uh, uh, so, so Ferguson was, was well aware. And when he, when he asked Martin Edwards, is there a drink culture at the club? He knew what the answer was going to be. So, you know, that was another thing that needed to be sorted out, um, which he did with, uh, when you look back on it, the most extraordinary brave uh, decisions. He had three top players, all of whom he needed. Because when he got to Old Trafford, one thing that the team uh, lacked, it lacked a lot, but in, in terms of where Manchester United wanted to go, but one thing that it lacked was strength, physicality. You know, it was a team of, of you know, Olsen and, and you know, good players, though, though they, he and Arthur Alberston, Peter Davenport, they weren't the they weren't the guys who could knock you out of the way. They had yeah. to play the way. And um, Terry Gibson, Colin Gibson, you know, you could go through loads of players. Johnny Sivbeck. Not one of them was intimidating. Hmm. But he had three, two intimidating players who were intimidating, who had good physiques. And there were Norman Whiteside and, uh, and Paul McGrath. But they were two of his three biggest problems in terms of addressing the drink culture. The third was Brian Robson. Uh, but Brian Robson was simply too good. You know, you, 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 he, was, he was too good a pro, too good a player, too good... Uh, he'd like to drink, but there was no... Ferguson said, look, I, because I'm, there's no way I'm going to get rid of Brian Robson, one of the best players in, in, in Europe, um, I'm going to reluctantly have to get rid of two of my biggest assets on the field, which were uh, Norman Whiteside and Paul McGrath. And, and that he did. Looking back on it, um, he got rid of a United legend and probably one of the greatest players that's ever played for the Republic of Ireland. Uh, mm -hmm. And definitely a candidate for best centre-half I've ever seen in my life in Paul McGrath. And not too shabby in midfield. Yeah. So these were top, top, top assets that he sacrificed on the way to rebuilding Manchester United as a club and changing the culture. Absolutely, Paddy. But it's also worth knowing, while, while, because obviously we're covering this era, that that took two or three years to happen. So it, there was certainly a period of time where he, he looked he looked at what he had and obviously what he was inheriting. And and certainly in the first two years, you know, inevitably at the end, as we all saw, that they became collateral damage and sort of examples of... The, the the standard that Ferguson was setting, but for the first two years, it oh, was no. it was very much a case of how do I turn this around and get them on side. Yeah, he didn't go he didn't go in guns blazing. You see, that's the other thing we th we think now of Ferguson in retrospect as a 
as a firebrand who didn't take any prisoners and who, you know, th uh, threw the bad apples out of the dressing room and all the, this kind of stuff. No, he, he, he was much too crafty for that. He went in knowing that if he did go in with uh, uh, an axe uh, uh, to, and, and apply an axe to the dressing room, that he would uh, last about as long as Brian Clough did um, <laughs> at Leeds. And, and no, no, he was much too clever for that. He was actually, you know, he, he, he would lose his rag at times if the performance wasn't to his satisfaction. But uh, it was, you know, there was a lot of nurture as well. There was a lot of long, you know, uh, canniness and, and cleverness in knowing what he could do. I don't think he went into the market straight away. He had been told by Martin Edwards that there was no money available. Um, and, uh, and yet, when after, as you say, a period of a couple of years, when he, he decided what he needed, uh, the money actually did become available. He was very good at uh, wheedling uh, money out of Martin. It was always a tension between them in every possible way. But uh, Martin Edwards did uh, provide the money for the likes of Pallister, Funnily, Danny Wallace, I, I talked before about needing to increase the, the size and power of, this, of the team, uh, particularly when McGrath and, and Whiteside left. Uh, Danny Wallace was hardly, hardly fitted the bill of a, of, a, of a strong man, but Bruce and Pallister did. Yeah. Um, and and, and that, they were the foundations of, uh, of the revival in, 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 the, in the way that they were, they were two defenders that they were, you know, you, 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 they were fierce, fierce yeah. as well as as well as gifted on the on the ground. We'll talk about the um, the entirety of Ferguson's first season in our next episode, but I just want to run over the uh, first couple of games. Obviously, played the first ever game he played, uh, he coached United was at Oxford United's Manor Ground, where they lost two 0 mm. The team sheet for that has infamously gone to auction many times. Um, I'm not even sure that. <laughs> It's the, the original that's up there for auction anymore. Um, maybe there's um, some crafty guy with um, good duplicates there. But um, I mentioned the first well, couple of Clayton Clayton Blackmore, a friend of this podcast, he would have been in that team. Absolutely, he was. Yeah, and a couple of yeah. games later. Uh, the reason why I mention uh, these first few games is because yeah. um, he talked about Gordon Strachan telling tales. He'd also told the um, United players some tales about Alex Ferguson which That's was um, expect the hairdryer and the yeah. first hairdryer actually came um, in his first month in charge they were down at right. Wimbledon at Plough Lane where um, I'm delighted that you know funnily enough we, we are recording this podcast the day before the anniversary of Alex Ferguson arriving at United mm. and a couple of days after Wimbledon return to Plough Lane so a nice bit of symmetry there um, but United lost down at Wimbledon which was this was symbolic of this Manchester United team they would lose at places like Wimbledon um, and they get bullied um, quite horrendously doing so and it was after that game where the first hairdryer came out um, where I think even the United players who'd been warned to expect it by Strachan were still surprised by how vociferous um, their new manager could be um, well that's it for this uh, first episode of Fergie United and how he arrived our next episode is going to focus on the early days as he made his mark at Old Trafford that's uh,